3: ballet bird is a streaming site designed by former pacific northwest ballet principal dancer julie tobiason ballet bird offers ballet classes for anyone at any level of training that you can do from the comfort of your home or studio after many years performing as a professional ballerina and decades of teaching at all levels of ballet julie is excited to offer her training for more people like you classes are designed for large and small spaces and for all levels The low monthly membership fee is less than one in-person class and is accessible 24-7 with new classes added every month. Ballybird is a great addition to your regular in-studio training as well. Take advantage of the 10-day free trial and use the discount code COD25 to get 25% off through June 30th, 2023 at Ballybird.com. Whether you are just starting your ballet journey today or you're a seasoned professional, Ballybird is the place for you. Visit Ballybird.com or click the link in the show notes.
0: I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro.
2: And I'm Michael Sean Breed, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today on Conversations on Dance, we are joined by choreographer Justin Peck to discuss his new work for Houston Ballet, Under the Folding Sky. Justin talks about how seeing the artwork of James Turrell in Houston provided a jumping-off point how he's waited for almost a decade to use the ballet's Philip Glass score, and what it's been like to explore an epic scale of dance in this work for 24 artists. If you are in the Houston area, you can purchase tickets to see Justin's new work on HoustonBallet.org. Under the Folding Sky runs on the Divergence program alongside works by Azure Barton and Stanton Welsh from May 25th to June 4th. Justin, it's always a pleasure to have you on, but I'm particularly excited for this episode, because while Rebecca and I have um, talked to artists of Houston Ballet a lot, uh, neither one of us have had the opportunity to see them live. And so my reference point is always to them. I'm always saying, well, Justin Peck is raving about you guys. And, you know, he's always he's such a big fan of yours. So I would love to hear uh, just a little bit about the beginning of your relationship, like what what the first time you ever got to work with the dancers was.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love the company here. And uh, let's see, we first started working together on a ballet of mine called Year are the Rabbit, which uh, I think is a really good kind of introduction to my work and a, a chance for me to collaborate on artists on something that's already existing. And um, it, was, it was kind of the first ballet I made or one of the first ballets I made for New York City Ballet um, and so it's, it's kind of a, an important work um, for me and uh, and so when, when I first started a conversation with Stanton about um, working with the Houston Ballet this was kind of a way in to, um, to familiarize with the company and get a sense of who they are and for them to get a sense of what my uh, movement is like and what my work is like and it was just yeah it was a nice kind of like way to ease in and i was super impressed with them i worked i came to work with them a couple times on that uh while it was being staged and then um leading into the performances and yeah i was just kind of blown away by many aspects of houston ballet i think like it's uh they they have a a phenomenal kind of bench of talent here they have great um uh resources and support for dance um and i think that comes from the city at large i think it's a city that uh really values the arts um and you can feel that the communities here really support the arts um yeah. performing arts the classical arts the visual arts that's all so much a part of um, Houston as a city. Um, and it's like something we don't, we all don't realize unless you come here and you experience it. So, um, so that's very true in regards to the ballet as well. And, um, you know, they have beautiful, inspiring facilities here. Um, and I think maybe also the fact that Stanton Welsh, the artistic director of the company here is a, choreographer and a dance maker in his own right, um, there's an extra um, attention placed on uh, cultivating new work Um, and it's something he understands firsthand so he knows how to support that and how to kind of guide the company to support that as well.
0: I wonder, um, as you're talking about year of the rabbit for some of our listeners who are just audience members and aren't dancers, can you tell us what the process looks like for a ballet being staged that has art that's already in existence and then you, how you come into that part of it and then versus something like this, where you're making a full new work, how is your role different?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, so with an existing work, the process, um, starts with a stager or sometimes called a repetitor um who is kind of responsible for bringing that ballet to life so they actually go to the company and work with them first uh, they set all the choreography they work with the dancers they um kind of get the ballet up on its feet um and so that's actually like the um, most of the work that goes into it. So they're usually working with the company for several weeks on that. Um, and then if if I'm able to, I will come in um, once it, once the ballet's up on its feet, I'll come in and work with the dancers on the details and share some uh, anecdotes or some thoughts behind the work and just try and uh, sprinkle a little bit of magic uh, <laughs> into the process as much as I can uh, leading into the, the piece going on stage and being performed. Um so that's a really fun process. And um and it's usually these these stagers or these repetitors are like scholars in the work. Like they know it inside and out and they have their systems for how they stage it, how they kind of archive the work. And um and it's it's an art form that is quite social and so it's it it's there there's this kind of like social back and forth um in how how the ballet is passed from one person to the next so that's also a big um a big part of that process and for the repetitors and um who are staging the work and um you know it's 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 a an art form that goes from person to person so uh, it's unique in that way yeah
2: that's always what our old boss, Edward Vallella, said. It has to be person to person. It's like it, it is unique in, in among art forms in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, something I want to hear a little bit more about is b- what in particular makes you tick about the, the Houston Valley artist? Because I was thinking about what we've heard from other choreographers who've worked with the company. And one thing that always comes up for them is acting. Like they're just fabulous actors, whereas the work that you do is typically plotless. So... Um, I'm imagining that there are other components to their artistic skill set that are, are making you that are drawing you in.
1: Yeah, I've never done any narrative work with the Houston ballet. Um, it'd be interesting to do something like that with them, actually. So I could hmm. have a little bit.
0: Interesting idea.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sure. But um they have that's 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 one of their strong suits because they do so many story ballets, a lot of full lengths. Um, and they have a a very strong classical technique, which is also something that I find really interesting for me to work with because it's just like, it's a different style of movement from New York City ballet. Um, and I really appreciate kind of their approach to the ballet technique. Um, but I also think there's... Um, there's a, a real sense of musicality in this company. I know that's something uh, that's a, a value here. I know it's something that Stanton prioritizes. And for me and my work, um, when I'm not working with story or with narrative, it's like the music is what it's all about. It's all about that interrelation of the music and the movement and the kind of world that we're creating amidst all that. Um, and so... They're very committed in that way um, towards that exploration and there are some real standout artists here in the company who um, kind of talk about this sometimes, but it's like there's certain dancers who who define the identity of a company. um, If that company is in a really exciting place right and. uh, and I think of dancers like Tyler Donatelli, uh, like Connor Walsh, like Jessica Colado. Um, these are dancers who, when people are, ask me, like, who is the Houston Ballet? Like, the like those are the artists that immediately mm-hmm. pop into my mind. Um, and those are just a few names. There's there's many others here, um, and that's what makes them unique. And I think that the company's in a really great place right now, where. Um, there's a generation that's kind of at their peak form in terms of their, their dancing and their, their artistry, their performance on stage. Um, and that's just like so exciting to get to, um, participate in creatively. And it's, um, it's something that doesn't last forever. There's always like an ebb and flow with companies where they kind of like have these, these peak moments and then they, you know, they, um, They kind of slope down and then they rebuild and maybe there's a new generation who kind of like comes up Mm -hmm. and there's transitional phases as well. Um, And that's normal. Um, And you can, I guess you can equate that to like um, like even with like sports and in like basketball teams, how there's like, you know, you you look at like the warriors and they're (laughs) such, there's such a, um, there's such a grace to how they play. And they're, they're these seasoned players right now who um, are doing exceptional things and and that might sort of have its moment where that time will end and then the sure. rebuilds so um so i think that's also a big part of these ballet companies and um and i guess just the the um the extraordinary level that is required to um to to perform and execute ballet and how fleeting that can be too so.
0: mm-hmm. So you were mentioning um, how the artists of Houston Ballet, maybe their style is a little different from what you're used to at New York City Ballet. And so I wonder how that kind of changes your process. When you're at your home company at New York City Ballet, you probably you walk in and you know every dancer inside and out so well that you probably have such an idea of what you're going to do in the studio that day. How is that different when you're working with a company that you've worked with before, but you're not as intimately f- familiar with? And does that change kind of how you go into the studio each day and how you're maybe influenced by the dancers in front of you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it is, I I am at a place now where this is my second new work for Houston Ballet and they've done You're the Rabbit and I made it work for them a few years ago as well, where it's like, now we're getting to a place where there is more of a shorthand, more of a creative relationship there that feels like, Like I'm not starting from scratch, which I really like. I think that's that's part of the appeal of um, working with Houston Ballet is that kind of continuity um, with the process with them. Um, But it's still yeah, it's still a process of learning and um, trying to understand these dancers and who they are and where they come from and how all the internal dynamics work. and. yeah, it's like I this piece is it's a really big ballet that um, that we're making here. So it's it's 24 dancers and it's wow. a big jump from the last piece, which was for 11 dancers. So um, it's impossible to know everyone uh, mm-hmm. in inside and out. And so part of the process of making this piece is kind of discovering all these artists and new dancers who are just starting out here and um and some you know some soloists i've never worked with and things like that and it's because it's such a big piece it's basically almost the entire company in the studio working on this once you account for understanding and second casts and all that um then yeah then it's like um it feels like a good next step and uh and I'm excited about the piece. It feels, the the piece feels different to me than anything I've made. Actually, it's got, uh, it's got some, I mean, it's like I mentioned, it's, it's, it's a, it's a huge ballet. Um, but some of the, uh, the group work is different from anything I've, I've made. I, I just, I feel like it's, it kind of revealed to me what it wanted to be as opposed to the other way around. So that's been like a nice part of the process as well. Right.
2: Was the decision to expand, was that kind of in response to your level of comfort with the company? You're wanting to get to know the organization even better in a larger scope. Um, or was that like, we need a closer, Justin, we need, you know, 24 (laughs) people on stage. Like, how how do you arrive at that kind of choice when you're at the beginning of the process?
1: I think it was a conversation with Stanton, um, about what, where to go next and not necessarily like that. He was saying we need a closer, we need a big piece. It was just Mm -hmm. sort of like, okay, what's next and what feels like the right step. Um, for this next commission for Houston ballet and there, you know, we had several conversations about, you know, music selection and concept and what kind of piece and the scale of it and what sort of, um, design elements would be included and how to sort of like grow from the last experience that we had together here. Um, so know how i landed on 24 exactly but um but the piece has this like uh this this kind of life growth structure to it where it starts with one singular dancer in sight and and that dancer eventually divides into two and then those two divide into four and so on and so forth and suddenly, we're getting twenty-four dancers kind of flying through space in almost this cosmic way. And the, some of the stuff they're doing is is so uh, intricate and expansive that it feels at times like there's like sixty dancers flying across the stage and mm-hmm. can't quite account for everyone. So, uh, so it has it has this build that starts very small from like a, a singular dancer to then full scale by the mm-hmm. end. Mm -hmm.
2: energetics are a sustainable australian-made brand that specialize in creating world-class dancewear for the stars of tomorrow perform and feel your best at every stage of your dance journey in energetics premium high performance fabrics see their entire range online at energetics.com that's e-n-e-r-g-e-t-i-k-s.com and for all listeners, there's a 20% discount on all Energetics products using the code COD20 at the checkout. Available until the end of September 2023.
1: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify.
0: You were talking earlier about the city of Houston and how you feel that it has this support for the arts. And, and I makes it makes me think of Heatscape that you did at Miami City Ballet that was influenced a lot by Miami. And we saw that a lot on stage. And so I wonder if there's any little bits and pieces of that in this work.
1: Yeah, um, there are. So, so a big jumping off point for me for this work in particular was... Uh, came from actually the last time I was in Houston and I discovered this James Terrell exhibit at Rice University. Um, and Terrell is known for um his his use of light in a very novel way and uh th- this installation is is so beautiful it's it's this kind of like border cutout. Um, facing up towards the sky and you kind of lean back and you look at light projected onto this frame and the, um, the experience of the installation takes place only at sunrise and at sunset. And it's a a kind of 40 minute experience where uh, Terrell creates this whole interplay with light, Um, the light he creates against the changing light of the natural world. And it does really transcendent things to, um, to your, Perception of you know depth, depth perception, and perception of color and of light, and it was just really moving and and kind of simple and meditative. And I love that it was something that was happening in real time. And that you know when you go to a museum and you look at a painting on the wall, sometimes you look at it for one minute, two minutes, five or ten minutes maximum, and then you move on to something else and this was an experience where you're sort of giving yourself over for the next 40 minutes to mm. this this thing that's shifting at a rate of like grass growing and i sort of loved that and it made me think a lot about the experience of of going to the ballet and surrendering to sitting in your theater seat and the lights go down and it's like for the next 30 minutes or ho- however long that act is you're taking in this Thing um, and I, I wanted to create an experience that felt not like visually or aesthetically reflective of the mm-hmm. Terrell, but but kind of conceptually um, inspired by that personal experience I felt here. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a big part of this influence on this piece. Is this kind of like ever shifting? Um, dance that's taking place on stage and part of the way that we um we uh articulate that i guess is through um a visual scenic design by the architect artist Carl Jensen and Carl who's actually a graduate of Rice University here um is it's it's a little bit of a homecoming in a way for him to design for this work and he's someone who I've worked with a couple times in the past he's the designer of the ballet Everywhere We Go uh, which mm-hmm. I did in 2014 for New York City Ballet and so he's this kind of like um, this expert in uh, working with um, sculpture working with uh, uh, paper working with like physical like three-dimensional um intricate things that exist in space and so mm-hmm. um so another exciting thing about working with Houston Ballet is that they have an amazing uh potential and support in regards to um production and what they can do scenically and what the theater can support and what the company uh can help sort of bring to life and so we're uh we're we've created this the scenic experience where um, what Carl has designed is sort of ever shifting over the course of the entire ballet. So it's, it's continuously moving and changing shape and, um, and occupying like the vertical space and, um, and it's not something that you necessarily notice until you like realize, Oh, something looks different now. Hmm. And, um, and so that's, that's been, um, the cool aspect of working here at Houston Valley and um, there's so much depth in the theater and what we can make, so that's been a, a big part of, um, of you know, wanting to make something that feels like unique to Houston, to this company, to this theater. Mm. So yeah. yeah. Can you talk a little bit about
2: how you figured out music that would serve this overall artistic vision? Did you use something that a pre-existing score, or, or is it a, a newly commissioned work?
1: yeah um, so that's like definitely a big element in the mix of this, right? So it's like, okay, part one is like Houston ballet, Part two is this jumping off point from the um this Terrell exhibit. and then, of course, like part three is what music to kind of like bring all this together. and uh, i was I was saying to someone that I feel like sometimes as artists or like as with the process of making art, it's about like finding or like making a sense of order from like the chaos of the world. So it's, so I, just to give a little insight into like my own process, it's like taking these things and finding like the way that they all align properly to make the thing and that becomes the ballet. And so I think the third element for this um, was, was sort of landing on the right piece of music and there's a piece that i've been listening to for about a decade um and it's just been sort of like waiting for the right moment to choreograph it and it feels like the, this became the perfect moment to bring it in and i'm glad i didn't choreograph to this music before mm. uh before this um but it's a score by philip glass who is obviously a lot of dance makers choreographed to philip glass's music so i'm I'm a little bit hesitant or reluctant to go there so there has to be like a really good reason to use some music by him and uh only i've only made i think like one or two dances to his music and so there's this score he wrote it's actually an opera it's from an opera called the photographer and the photographer is an opera he wrote in the early 80s um it's not performed often And I found a recording of it, you know, 10 years ago um, and just became obsessed with it. And the third act of the opera feels like one great score for dance. Mm -hmm. And it has this quality of, of almost like a train starting from a completely dormant state and very slowly picking up speed. And then it gets a little faster and faster and it's all incremental and builds and builds and builds and the music gets to this place where it just almost like if, the, if a train could take flight hmm. that's the feeling yeah. that happens until it sort of like comes to this crash crashland ending so it's a really exciting score and it felt like um it works perfectly with the concept that we're trying to explore and present here um yeah. it's, it's for full orchestra um it has uh um the this the the use of the sound of the voice in it um so there's no lyrics in it, but it's just it has this kind of like uh the you know the the voice as an instrument throughout it um mm-hmm. right. so uh so yeah it's it's um I'm hoping that it'll be like one of those hidden gems that gets like rediscovered after many years of um n- not having it and played so mm. Yeah, we'll see how it goes.
0: (laughs) Just while we're, um, since we did earlier speak on Rabbit, which you mentioned was one of your earlier works um, that you've choreographed and now looking here in 2023. I wonder, I always think about choreographers when they sit down in the audience for opening night, like what? are you thinking, you know, it's like everything's in the dancer's hands Like you can't really do anything. How will the audience perceive it? And so I wonder too, how that's kind of shifted from the beginning of your career to now, now that you have such a body of work and you've had that experience of sitting in the audience and just letting it go so many times now.
1: Well, it's kind of different every time and depending on the audience and depending on the work and the performance. And, um, so it's always really kind of a thrill um sometimes it's great sometimes it's uh not so great and <laughs> um it's a full range so it's like it's still an ad- an adrenaline rush um and something i i and en- i sort of enjoy in a in a way um and i find like watching performances of works that i've already made to be like much I mean, there's still a thrill to it, but it's much it's much more diminished in a sure. way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So, so yeah, there's something really special about that first time seeing, um, or being being present in the room for a piece that no one, no audience has seen before, and um, it can be a struggle too, though, because I find like with new works, especially with the ballet, there's no opportunity to perform it in front of an audience until the actual opening. So um I always say that the paint's still wet on mm. um on the work. And it usually takes like a full season for it to kind of like open up and breathe properly and for it to settle and um like a
0: fine wine.
1: Yeah <laughs> I think there's something like that. And it's like uh I just went back I just flew back to see Copeland Dance episodes this past weekend. And that's like a good example of, I remember the opening night, it was just so compressed and like coiled and the energy was so high and the tempos were so fast and now coming back and seeing it again, it's like, it's settled in this really amazing way. And it was just so, um, it was so moving to see the dancers like own it and kind of like know what it is now. Um, so, and that was also, that also had kind of a thrill to it as well, because Russell Jansen ended up dancing last minute with Mira and Don. And so that, that was like, they've never danced together before. So it was the first, first time on stage they were performing together. So it's kind of exciting in that way. Um, so yeah, I think like, uh, we'll see how the first performance goes and it, I'm sure it'll be a thrill, but it's also like, it's not a full kind of representation of what that work will become, I think. Well,
0: there's many opportunities for audience members to see it multiple times if they'd like. It's running May 25th through June 4th. So there's plenty of time to catch that ballet opening up.
2: (laughs) I'm glad you brought up Copeland dance episodes because even just talking about this new work for Houston and it being this large scale work for 24 dancers and Copeland is obviously very large as well. Is that something that you're just you're very interested now? you know, in the same way, like, uh, you know, a visual artist might be like, well, I'm in my like pointillism era. I'm just gonna make (laughs) all these pointillist works right now. Like, are you just is this is, is Justin in his like, epic era? (laughs) Or or was that just a coincidence that those two works are kind of premiering or being made, you know, uh, in tandem with one another?
1: I don't think of it that way. I mean, I think it is a little bit of a coincidence. And when I got here, I was like, Oh no, like (laughs) another (laughs) massive one. How am I going to do this? But luckily, you know, the influence of this, this music and this, these dancers and the place like this, it feels quite different from, uh, from the Copeland and I, I always love working with big groups. That's something that goes back to, um, it was kind of a, honestly, it was a backlash to a lot of the new work I was seeing, as a student, where every time I would go to New York City Ballet to see a, a world premiere, it would be like eight dancers on stage or something like that, and I was like, "Why is?" And then I would see like on the same program like Symphony and Three Movements by Balanchine. I was like, "There's so much potential with big groups." Like I think right. that's sort of where my interest in it came from, mm. and um, and I love working with big groups, and there's just so much, uh, yeah, like I said, so much potential with that um but there's also like you know i think i'll probably um take us a little break from that coming up i think next year i'm just going to do a duet for new york city ballet um for two people and i'm working on a show um called illinois right now that's premiering up at the bard fisher center and that's for a cast of 12 so that's a little bit smaller a little more intimate and uh and then a couple other things here and there but um But yeah, I think it's like it's also good to sort of take a little time to rest and get bored and sort of let um, let the thoughts renew as well. Right. um, Yeah. How does having to
2: work on several projects simultaneously affect the artistic output because it's not like um for either copeland or for this new work that you were able to just you know okay well you know i make the work for three weeks and then we have a tech week and then we boom 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 you you are actually going back and forth between those two projects and i'm certain that there were other things obviously illinois you were working on even if it's on the back burner you know how do you Uh, what's the juggling process like and maybe some pros and cons to going back and forth rather than i I imagine if you were just there all the time it would be you'd be like driven insane by looking at the same thing every day
1: (laughs) i I think you kind of have to because these some of these projects require so much preparation so much time especially Mm -hmm. if they're um as as i'm uh as i'm more interested in making Work that's larger scale or like more epic in length and and in the arc of what it is um like these things just have longer gestation periods and like even talking about the copeland which is like a an 80 minute evening um that was like years of preparation and Mm -hmm. um and planning and the the i if i if i can talk a little bit about the process of making that um i pulled a lot from my experience working on the west side story film um, particularly in how they organize and schedule and like plan for shooting the film so so much of it is broken down into a very specific kind of schedule that works Mm -hmm. in a non-linear way uh in relation to the story and um so much of it is storyboarded is Um, there's a, there's, there are, there are exercises, um, in kind of like how the film will kind of come to life through the camera eventually, um, so that there's this constant like thought process and planning preparation that goes into, um, actually filming the movie. And I think for the Copeland, I, I embarked upon a similar process where, um, I created a kind of full arc of this piece, um. You know, it it actually incorporates four different scores by Aaron Copeland, but I wanted it to have this sort of seamless feel through the dance that we were um, creating in relation to that. And so um, so there are dancers who have arcs that start, you know, with in the first piece and end in the fourth piece. And um, and a lot of that was. sort of like dreaming on and structuring out what that would be. And then once we get into the process of working with dancers, it's like, okay, let me zoom into this like 30 second variation for Megan Fairchild that comes Mm -hmm. about 60 percent into the film. And now I'm going to jump back to the opening and now I'm going to go to the finale and now I'm going to do this duet. And Mm. that duet comes in the third act where we set it up in the first act but i haven't done that yet so it's um it's a lot about having like the vision for the thing as a whole and then um and then i guess like um zooming into the specificity of each little moment so that becomes this like collage almost like this puzzle that eventually comes to life mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean like a work like that was was very long term in terms of the planning preparation and then the execution of it and similar for many of these projects so some of them I've been working on for years and sometimes it's a little out of our control in terms of when they actually like hit that premiere date Um, so like this year for example I have um, I have like two or three really big projects that are coming out at the same time and people probably think like well how do you How does, you know, it's too much or like, how is, how is Justin doing that? But really they've all been sort of in various processes for years now, um, getting to this place and sometimes it's on and off and sometimes it's switching from one to the other where there's like very focused sessions for, um, for those respective projects. And that's just sort of the nature of, um, how work gets made and, how these projects function. And um, so it's a lot about uh, like finding a discipline in the practice and like the scheduling and the organization of it all. Sure.
0: Well, we hope that all of our listeners in the Houston area will see Houston Ballet in the in Justin and his epic era as we've now dubbed it <laughs> um, May 25th uh, through June 4th but just before we let you go we know you have to get to the studios for rehearsal but just let us know um what you hope audiences will take away from this ballet
1: I kind of hope that they have um uh, a kind of simple cathartic release from the experience I think that just as I experienced, that from witnessing the Terrell exhibit, I, I, I do think that the piece has s- some special moments in it, but it's it's ultimately about the sum of some of the parts, and I'm hoping that it'll be something greater than the parts themselves. So, um, so that's my hope, and it's just to throw it, throw it in there at the end. The title of the work is "Under the Folding Sky," um, so uh, I'm. It's kind of a nice nod to the Tyrell, uh, but also uh, a, a title that um, I think well represents what this work will be in terms of the experience on stage. Awesome.
2: Well, thank you so much, Justin. We wish we could be there with you. And we, sh- we are sure that all the audience members and-, and dancers alike will really just relish this experience. So thank you.
1: Thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk to you. Thank you.
0: Conversations on Dance is part of the ACAST Creator Network. For more information, visit Conversations on Dance Pod, P-O-D dot com.